Hello and welcome to the Business of Agriculture, a podcast with me, your host, Damian Mason, where we get together every week right here and we discuss issues impacting the industry of food, fuel, fiber, and farming. It's the industry we love, the industry we work in, the industry that feeds us, both financially and, and of course, physically and somewhat emotionally. Uh, we do this, uh, and I've been doing it for over a year now, uh, in case you're new to the show, uh, we don't discuss the spot price of corn or wheat uh, you know, for the March markets. You've got that on your phone. You can log on to the CME. You can call your local elevator, whatever it is. We try and discuss big picture business items here. We have great guests. Today, actually, we're going solo because I've got something I want to talk to you, you about, and this is going to be the post-election episode, if you will. That's right. We just had the midterm elections. All the talking heads, you know, from CNN. Fox News, CBS, MSNBC, go ahead and name them all. They're all talking about what this means for America. But what happened in this round of elections that matters to us, the people in the business of agriculture? I'm also doing a couple of things new for you. We're going to put this on video. So if you are a regular listener to the Business of Agriculture podcast, thank you. It's been over a year now. I think this is episode number 60. I very much appreciate you being part of it. But this also is going to be on video. So we're going to put it out there on YouTube. So if you are the more visually uh, sensory perceptive type, you can watch it if you just like to listen when you're driving around a piece of equipment or making sales calls out there in your business of ag job. That's great also. However you want to join the conversation, I welcome you. We have great guests. We have a lot of fun. Today, we're not going to have a guest because we've got so much to cover just on the election stuff. And I got a big point about where things are going and some of it's positive, but a lot of it's not. So that's what we're going to talk about in particular is something that happened in California. Before I get to that, I want to first off say, again, thanks for coming with me now for over a year been doing this. Secondly, I've got a new microphone. I've got some new things I'm working on here to improve the sound quality of this. So if you listened before and you said, man, it's a little scratchy, Damien, to update your equipment, spent about $800 on new equipment, and I'm trying to make this even better for the experience for all of us. Also, I'm operating from the Arizona headquarters. As many of you know, I split time between my farm in Indiana, and then I get away for winter because I can't stand the gray skies or the cold weather. So the last batch of steers went in and got butchered last week. I immediately hopped in the truck after I disconnected the livestock trailer. Me, my wife, and my dog drove across country, got to Arizona, settled in for less than a day, and then I hit the road and got on an airplane to Oregon where I worked for the Oregon Farm Bureau Young Farmer and Rancher Conference. In fact, tomorrow I'll be getting on a plane for Kansas, uh, talking to some great folks there with AgroLiquid, and then I'll be going from there to the Agceptional Women's Conference. So by the time you're listening to this, you might have already seen me at one of these events, the Agceptional Women's Conference in Norfolk, Nebraska. They call it Norfolk, but it's actually Norfolk, and it's Johnny Carson's hometown. Be working at the uh, Northeast Community College up there. So it's got a, a busy time here in November while I'm hitting the road, and I drove across country. But I need to squeeze in, of course, time with you to record this Business of Agriculture podcast because there's some really important stuff that happened, and it happened in California. And you know what we always say, that what happens on the coast works its way into the heartland, and I don't think that's a positive for many things as it pertains to the business of agriculture. Californians passed Proposition 12. So I've been reading up on this. Of course, I don't live in California. I'm an Indiana resident with a winter house in Arizona, so I'm close enough. And I go over there quite a bit. In fact, I think I've done three paid events in California so far this year. Uh, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure I have any more yet this year. So California, our number one ag state. 
Some of you are listening to this. Maybe you're driving around Mississippi and you are a cotton producer or you're hanging out in Ohio because you sell seed like my friend Mr. Yoder. Or maybe you're in Michigan and you're in the dairy business. You're saying, wait a minute, California's number one. California's number one ag state by leaps and bounds, ladies and gentlemen. Like 50 or 70% more revenue than the number two state, which is Iowa. It's amazing because, of course, you've got almonds and watermelons and celery and avocados. And then, of course, dairy, the number one dairy-producing state. There's a lot of value in making milk, even at $15, 100-weight milk. Uh, so California is a number one revenue state for ag, but it's also number one state out of the 50 for regulation, probably. I mean, we've got this huge population, 38 million people, 37 million people over there, and most of them are not involved in the business of agriculture. So what's that mean? It means that ag is completely outvoted, but then that's what happens everywhere. Every part of this country, ag is outvoted, ag is outnumbered. We know the numbers, we get that. What is troubling is that some of these laws are passed and you can say, oh, well, it's going to make their food more expensive. And I'm going to get into this more later on because that is our probably our worst, our absolute worst line in the sand, our worst defense and our worst rebuttal because clearly the consumers don't care about the cost of this legislation. What concerns me more is an ag ignorant electorate falls for the propaganda by our organizations that are our opponents and we don't fight them well, we don't fight them at all, and we fight them the wrong way. And then we never let our customers that have a vested interest in this actually do the fighting for us. So that's where we really screw up. So anyway, that's what we're covering here today on the Business of Agriculture podcast. I appreciate you joining me, your host, Damian Mason. You can find all my past episodes, DamianMason.com. Go across the top, DamianMason.com, and there'll be like, you know, information about me, how to contact me, and there'll also be programs and, uh, you know, how to find photos of me and how you can see videos of me on stage doing presentations at ag organizations all over North America. And of course, you can also find podcasts and blogs. So you can click on that or you can go on you know any of the other places i think uh, stitcher and all these other places and find it so i do appreciate you joining and if you really enjoy this please share this with others that might benefit by being a part of our community here okay so what is the big picture california here in the midterms uh, passed proposition 12 and so maybe you live in a state that doesn't even have these things called propositions like i said i live part-time in arizona they do voter referendums pretty commonly in some of these western states seems to me because you'll be driving down the road here in arizona and they'll say things like vote no on proposition 113 uh prove that you hate uh potholes vote uh, vote yes for 167 or uh, prove that you don't uh, want to kill teachers because you're not mean. Uh, vote uh, no on 194. It's, it's kind of crazy because they usually are written by cause groups that sort of get the initiative approved through and then get ballot access through signing petitions. And then the thing will be written kind of with their own angle. It's very, very much an agenda piece if you read some of it because if you don't hate teachers, you will clearly vote no. And they have so many double negatives cooked into the thing. You're like, what the hell would I even be voting for? But again, I vote in Indiana. We don't usually have these things. California has them. And California had Proposition 12 on the ballot. California's Proposition 12 was very simply uh, an end to animal confinement. Or they called it Farm Animal Confinement Initiative. 
depending on what you're reading. I've got a number of news sources here from uh, San Francisco News to the Los Angeles Times to even some stuff off of Wikipedia, and you can see who, who wrote that. What they're saying is they want there to be more space for animals. They want there to be more space for uh, chickens in particular, and then veal, calves, and beef. Uh, and pigs. So they don't raise a lot of confined beef. There's not even that much veal in California. There's very few pigs in California, but there are a boatload of chickens. Uh, they've got, it's estimated as a $1 billion industry, just the chicken egg laying industry in California. So this very much impacts them. And this comes on the heels that many of you may not know or may have forgotten or just never tuned into Proposition 2. Proposition 2 was on the ballot in 2008, and it was sponsored, like this Proposition 12, by the Humane Society of the United States. Humane Society of the United States, and uh, then they get their other groups, you know, the PETAs, uh, or let's say, I can give you an example of who sponsored this most recent one. Proposition 12 had notable backers, including the Prevent Cruelty California, the Humane Society of the United States, of course, who sponsored it, San Francisco Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, Marin County Humane Society, Sierra Club California, Center for Food Safety, the California Democratic Party, and then they say more than 100 family farmers and more than 600 California veterinarians and vet clinics. So, of course, they went to the cat and dog people, which is not hard to find 600 of them in a state with 37 million people. And then 600 California or 100 family farmers. Well, they might be avocado farmers. They might be vegan producers. They clearly were probably not chicken producers. And if they were, they are certainly people that benefit by this law. What this law does... What Proposition 12 does is 67% of the people voted for it, so it's already going to happen. It's going to happen because it passed by 67 to 30 or 63 to 37%. So basically two-thirds to one-third. It's going to happen, and it's going to, uh, by the year 2022, cage-free for chickens, period. In 2008, Proposition 2 set up this policy a law that went into effect seven years later in 2015 and said that no animal can be confined where it cannot stand upright, turn around, or extend its limbs. And the idea was, well, these chickens are in such small little pens. And of course, back then, PETA and the Humane Society of the United States got video footage of these barns, and maybe they had to go, you know, all over the place to find one barn where they really were doing a bad job and, and show this really mistreatment of animal livestock uh, in small little pens with, you know, manure up to the rafters and that kind of thing. And then they, of course, take video footage of that, put it on TV. The voter in San Francisco that's never been on a farm, the voter in Los Angeles that's never, ever uh, gathered eggs, uh, then sees that and says, oh my God, things are horrific. I have to vote against that. And that's how these things happen happen. So I'm not for animal cruelty. I don't want animals to be in tight little pens where they can't turn around. I don't want pen, uh, pens that are stacked up to the uh, rafters and manure. No good farmer, no uh, ethical agriculturist wants that. That's not what's happening. So what happened here was in Proposition 2, passed in 2008, they built in this time window and said, you're going to have to have these pens of a certain character. But they purposefully, and I mean they as in our opposition, the animal rights activists, the radicals that are really out to control diet and also dismantle production agriculture as you and I know it, they made it so that it was ambiguous. 
Remember, if you want to have a real issue cause havoc in an industry, make the rules so damn ambiguous that you can never interpret them. Now, governments do this to us sometimes. Uh, you must have reasonable, uh, you must have reasonable uh, defenses against spilling your chemicals into a waterway or you will be held liable. What's reasonable to you versus what's reasonable to me? Uh, these are the kinds of things we face. So it was ambiguous on purpose. It didn't give a set amount of inches or feet for this. So a lot of, uh, a lot of the people on the push that wanted this happen said, we thought this meant cage-free. So they got that initiative passed. And then it came 2015 for the enactment. And so it really then, the legislature in California said, you've got to have 116 inches per chicken. And they basically then came up with some numbers. And the humane side of the United States wasn't done because that's the big point here. You see, what their objective is is not really what you think their objective is. You believe, okay, we're going to give more space to our hens. The humane society will be happy. The humane society will never be happy because A, they're radicals and B, they don't eat meat. How the hell could you ever be happy if you don't digest protein? Your body is starving every day. Your muscles can't work. You can't build more muscles and you're basically mad all the time because you've never eaten a steak or a cheeseburger or a big old chicken breast topped off with cheese and maybe an egg and then you put some mayonnaise. I do digress because it's almost supper time where I am and I'm recording this. The point is, you may decide the United States people are never going to be happy there is no appeasing them. The purpose of the goal of, of 2008's Proposition 2 was not to create more space for chickens. It was to create more havoc for chicken producers. It was to create more cost for chicken producers. It was to build systems in place that make it harder to produce and therefore make it more difficult for production agriculture to thrive or profit, and therefore you drive them from the state or you put them out of business, and you also then get all this publicity, all this PR, by going on TV with well-funded PR campaigns and saying, those national egg farmers, those organizations that are backing factory farms, they don't care about animals. They're going to have to invest 14 more cents per chicken, and they're not going willing to do that. And, of course, the consumer sitting there in San Diego, California, says, Oh, my God, over 14 cents they wouldn't do that? I heard it would only cost one more dollar over the next year for them to update their facility per chicken. Well, yeah, they also have... 800,000 chickens. So it's a very expensive proposition. So the goal was never about really chicken space. The goal for these radical organizations is to put ag out of business, to cause them to have a real havoc, uh, complying, and then, of course, to make it ambiguous enough that you never really are in compliance. So once it got passed, which was 2008, it was going to roll into effect in 2015. How long did it take for these radical organizations to then come back with the left punch that followed the right punch or the right punch that followed the left punch, depending on which one you favor? It took them three years. And this was already in place, trust you me, after Proposition 2 came into being. The idea was, now we're saying, wait a minute, that wasn't enough. That wasn't enough to give them 116 square inches per chicken or this many square feet per veal calf or pig. We want there to be even more because you misinterpreted our original intent. So last week, Proposition 12 was passed by a two-thirds to one-third vote in the state of California. 
And what does that mean? That now there are specific square footage and square inches designated for each animal of those three species, meaning veal, calves, pork, and chickens. They will have to have a certain amount of space. But by 2022, chickens don't even just have to have a, square amount, a certain amount of space. They have to be completely cage-free. Now, you being a smart business of agriculture participant, you're saying to yourself, well, then will that be enough? No, it's never enough. What comes next after this is very plain to me. It will be, wait a minute, you've got all those chickens in those barns. They're filthy. There's diseases in there. Sure, they're cage-free, but they're still so crowded. They should be outdoors. No chicken should be pinned indoors. And so the next thing will be a vote against even confining animals in buildings. You see where this goes? Then it gets to where how could you possibly raise chickens that are eaten by everything known to man, including man, possums, raccoons, weasels, minks, hawks, Owls, skunks, coyotes, fox, wolves. You name every meat-eating animal, including ourselves, humans, in the mix, and we all eat fowl. So, of course, the more we have to put chickens outside, the more the mortality will be, and then, of course, the more costly it will be, and the more of a pain in the ass it will be, and then you just eventually drive chicken farming away. That's kind of the objective of the PETAs, the Humane Societies, the Prevent Cruelty of California Initiative, etc., etc. Of course, all the vegan-based organizations. You're saying, Damien, I don't live in California. What the hell do I care? Well, here's why you care. Because it's not just for the animals raised in California. It's for all animals shipped to, consumed, and eaten in California. All eggs that are eaten in California have to be from cage-free facilities starting in 2022. All veal and all pork has to be compliant by 2020 on terms of their space. Now, this is a $1 billion egg industry in California, but you're saying, who's going to monitor all that? There's already an estimate in this one article that I read that it looks like it's going to be about a $10 million, $10 million additional compliance regulation cost built in for the government of California. Because if you're selling eggs from Iowa or pork from Nebraska or Minnesota, two big pork states, North Carolina, name the pork state, Indiana, where I'm from. If you're selling animal products to California, you're supposed to comply with their regulation. So now all of a sudden, you've got to be uh, putting in bigger pins for your, for your pigs and bigger, bigger pins for your chickens if you're an out-of-state producer that hopes to sell to California. So the big goal not only is to put ag out of business, control diet, and to create a more vegan lifestyle from these cause organizations, they'd like to wreak a certain amount of havoc across the United States. Because with California being our number one populous state with 37 million people, I think that's what it is, 36 and a half to 38 is right in there. The point, of course, is now you've got this huge consumer state and is going to be having to go through all kinds of hell to figure out where they're sourcing their products from. Now, as a state, they aren't, but the industry is. And you're saying, all right, who's going to police that? So there's probably going to end up being some fraud. There's probably going to end up being some people breaking the rules. There'll probably be some big push. And then, of course, Humane Society and PETA get a really great little feather in their cap because they go to, let's say, Iowa in two years, and they find that this chicken operation is not in compliance, that they're not cage-free, and they accidentally got a truckload of eggs from this not cage 
free place in Iowa and California egg consumers are being defrauded. You shouldn't even eat eggs. You should just go to a vegan lifestyle. And that's how the media will be played by this cause organization. Do I sound jaded to you? I apologize if I do. But it's because I know these organizations, I study about them, I read them, I watch what they do, and hopefully you do too. If you don't, just tune in right here, and I'll give you the scoop from my perspective, but I'm not making any of this up. You can read it right here, Los Angeles Times, San Francisco, this one's my favorite, The Eater of San Francisco, that's got some good data in here, and then of course, uh, uh, some TV uh, news outlets there. It's the 20-minute mark of our little podcast, and you're saying, Damien, what does that mean? Well, it means it's a time for a message from our sponsor. Damien, do you have a sponsor? Yes, I do. It's me. As you can see, if this banner behind me is on your screen, and if you can't see it because you're listening as you're driving uh, your piece of equipment or your sales vehicle down the road, DamienMason.com is where you can find me. It's where you can find all my stuff. But you know what? It's also where you can find out how to book me. I make a living giving presentations at business events and agricultural functions all over the world, but principally right here in North America. I'd love you to consider bringing me into your 2019 meeting. I'll keep it funny. I'll give you the comedy and the commentary about this industry that we call the business of agriculture. All right. So where am I going with this? Well, I want to point out where we get it wrong. And I, I have to commonly say this to our ag folks because we're just not good fighters. I swear to you, we, we took one too many lessons from uh, William Penn and the Quakers about turning the other cheek. We don't just turn the other cheek. We pull our pants down and give them both of our cheeks and say, beat the shit out of me. Go ahead and just hit me with a board. Paddle me. I, I mean, what are we doing? Here was the response from Ken Clippen, who I eventually want to have on this show. With the president, he's the president of the National Association of Egg Farmers, and generally he keeps talking about cost. That what is happening with Proposition 12 is going to add to the price tag of dinner. It's going to make food more expensive. And as I continue to tell you, the radicals know that the consumer doesn't care about that. Because when you put one to two, and this is an actual number that I have in one of these articles right here, they estimated it's going to add one to two cents per egg. Well, ladies and gentlemen, two cents per egg is 24 cents a dozen. If the average family gets through a dozen or so, you're talking about a quarter a week, 50 cents per week. And they just watched those television ads that our detractors filmed with all that nasty footage that may have not even been in a California farm. It may have not even been in the United States of America farm. It could have been in Romania, where they went and found this terrible facility with these poor chickens being, you know, in their own feces, drinking crappy water with an unhealthy situation, and they put that on TV. So the consumer is hearing from us hey, this is going to cost you a cent and a half more an egg. And they're saying, hell, I only eat a dozen eggs. My family only eats a dozen eggs a week. That's 24 cents. That's, that's a quarter. I put that in the meter over there, and it gets me eight minutes. What do I care about a quarter? And I just saw this horrific footage of what you factory farms are doing out there. You think it's not worth a quarter more to put that to an end? That's what we're up against. Stop telling people about it's going to cost them more because they really don't care. Here's where we win. Here's our argument that we should use. It's not about 25 cents right now, Mr. and Mrs. Consumer. It's about the fact that these organizations don't really care about cruelty or humane treatment of these chickens or these pigs or these veal calves. What they really want is to control your diet. They want to take meat off of your plate. They want to make it so your son and daughter right over there cannot have eggs for breakfast. They want to make it so that you cannot have leather boots, leather shoes, leather sneakers, and leather pants. Ah. 
It's fun to think about girls in leather pants, isn't it? Okay, that's what the answer needs to be from us to our consumer. Yes, you should care. You should be very angry about this because they're trying to take away what matters to you. Let our consumers do the fighting for us. Another point I want to make to you, the price and cost don't matter. Stop using that. If you use it, use it as one of seven arguments against this control, not the number one and only argument against this control. It's rife for fraud. There's going to be all kinds of problems with that. It's going to cost you more for regulation. But you know, we're really doing things right already. And here's the big point. There is no appeasing these animal rights radicals. So put it back on our consumer and say, do you realize these organizations, these radical organizations that raise millions and billions of dollars to control what you eat ultimately just want control of your diet. They want to tell your family what to eat. They want to take choices away from you. But right now you have more choice than you've ever had. From Whole Foods to Trader Joe's to Amazon shopping online to going down to the local Kroger, the Safeway, the Winn-Dixie. You can have anything you want. Why would you want to empower them to restrict you? When you vote their way, you give them the power to restrict your choice. That's a winning argument because people don't like being controlled on their food. Look at the pop law in, Cal in uh, New York City. 16 ounces of Coke? <sighs> well, if it's hot, I'm thirsty. Okay. Another big point I want to make to you. This is coming. It's going to happen. Cage-free is going to be the reality. It's just going to be the reality because it's already got momentum. And now we've got California. And, of course, you can say, well, Massachusetts. That doesn't matter because they don't really raise any chickens in, Cal in Massachusetts. But it's going to trickle because what happens on the coast trickles its way in. And... Cage-free, we've proven we can actually be just about as efficient. The price spike that happened after Proposition 2 came into effect in 2015, remember that was the law that was voted on in 2008, came in seven years later. We said, oh my God, eggs are going to be so expensive. A bunch of production already switched over. And the consumer didn't see a big cost. And they didn't even see a big disruption. Oh, eggs got a little scarce for a few months. Not enough that really anybody got hurt. It happened for a while, three to six months. There were some disruptions, some price issues, some supply issues, but the market corrected. And so I don't know that we have a big leg to stand on that is going to hurt supply. I think we have a bigger leg to stand on that's going to long-term hurt the industry that hurts supply long-term. Meaning if California's uh, radical laws happen in the whole 50 states, that will be an issue because of compliance, because of switching over, because of cost, and also because of just the ability to do it. But cage-free on chickens is going to happen. I do see an end to the crate. Sorry, National Pork Producers Council. I love you. You people hire me all the time, but this is the next initiative. They're going to go after the crates. They've already done it in California. It's going to be how big can the pen be? And then again, you'll say, we gave them a big enough pen. Oh, but it wasn't big enough. We thought when we passed this law that you were going to actually have that pig's best interest in mind, but you certainly didn't. It's all about factory farms and profitability. So there's no appeasing these organizations. So I say before it gets worse, cage-free is already going to happen. Cage-free is already going to happen. It's already there. We think about one-third of the, one of these articles I read right here said that one-third of the chicken uh, eggs, I'm sorry, are raised uh, cage-free right now in the U.S. It's probably more than that, depending on which state you're in. It's going to be that way more and more. You got McDonald's and Burger King and Subway and Taco Bell and then Kroger and Safeway and all these different companies that are saying, you know what, by 2022, we're going to go all cage-free. So that's already happening. But we got to draw a line in the sand and we got to learn to fight our battle and do it the right way. And here's how we're going to have to do that. We got to realize that there is no appeasing these organizations. So I give you, if you will, the Girl Scouts. You're saying, Damien, we've been talking about agriculture and now you're talking about Girl Scouts? Yes, I am. Because here's where we screw up. 
we screwed up in California when we said, and we actually, our own organization, and I believe it was the United Egg Farmers. Let me pull this up. United Egg Producers actually, I believe it was, worked with the, the Humane Society of the United States back in 2008, 10 years ago, on the language of that initiative. Sometimes we team up with these radicals thinking that we can all just get along, that we're all just going to fight for the same cause. We're all on the same page. But nothing could be further from the truth because these people are whack jobs and they use such salacious video and language to drive their agenda that the poor consumer doesn't know any better because they don't know you and me. They don't understand agriculture. So anyway... We can't team up with them. We need to fight them and realize there is no appeasing. There is absolutely no appeasing the whack jobs. I give you the Girl Scouts. Damien, why are you telling me about the Girl Scouts? Because it's very simple. The Girl Scouts is right now, today, starting last week, in a lawsuit against the Boy Scouts of America. That's right. Remember, it was Cub Scouts? They sold you popcorn. And then Boy Scouts, they get the Eagle Scout. They salute the flag. They do great American things. They learn how to camp and start fires. And what do they have as their motto? Be prepared. Couldn't we all learn a lesson from that? Well, the Boy Scouts, starting in 1991, that's right, starting in 1991, were sued over not allowing girls in. A girl named Margot Goldstein down in Florida. Her brothers were both Cub Scouts and Boy Scouts, so she wanted to join in because she was friends with a lot of the kids that you know that their brothers hung around with. And then she was going to go on an overnight trip, and they wouldn't let this happen. And then this kind of escalated. Next thing you know, there became a lawsuit. So in 1991, going back, that's a long time. Jeez, my math isn't good, but I think that's what? Like 27 years? Let me think about that. 19? So long, I can hardly think about it. 27 years ago, there was a lawsuit that said, there's not going to be girls and Boy Scouts, I'm suing you. And that was in 1991. Since then, there's been a lot of discrepancy, a lot of anger, a lot of malignment, a lot of and, and other lawsuits against the Boy Scouts. And so finally, just a year or two ago, they had to start letting in transgender, and they had to let in girls. And, and the Boy Scouts were always saying, what's a big deal? You have your own organization over there called Girl Scouts. You know those little girls in those, in those cute little dresses and their little sashes and it says troop number such and such and they come and ring on your doorbell and they stand outside of all the grocery stores in America and beg for your money. I'm sorry, they sell you cookies? And so you're thinking to yourself, that made sense that there's Boy Scouts, there was Girl Scouts, what's the, what's the problem? The problem is radicals that have an agenda never see things in a rational standpoint, from a, from a rational stance, they see it from their own agenda and how can they push their cause. So exactly what happens now is the Girl Scouts are suing the Boy Scouts because the Boy Scouts started letting in girls and now they're accused of recruiting girls. So dig this, the Girl Scouts of America are suing Boy Scouts because they not only were forced to let in girls and transgender and every other thing, they finally said, screw it, we're going to stop calling ourselves Boy Scouts. They're starting to refer to themselves as scouts, Scouts USA, go scouting. And they are accused by Girl Scouts of trademark infringement, of all sorts of uh, predatory practices, that they are trying to steal girls away from Girl Scouts to join Boy Scouts, which no longer calls itself Boy Scouts. You're saying, Damien, you brought this whole thing full circle, but I'm not sure I still can connect the dots. Help me out here. There is, no there is no appeasing. There is no pleasing. There is no satisfying radicals with an agenda. And the Girl Scouts and people that, and maybe they are not. I mean, I want to buy their cookies. My wife loves the Thin Mints. But there's a handful, a small, vocal, radical minority somewhere within the Girl Scouts organization 
or within the anti-Boy Scouts organization that will never be pleased until they destroy Boy Scouts. And that, my friends, is the lesson for you in agriculture. There is a radical number of people, a radical, very vocal, very well-funded, very passionate, small, small minority of individuals out there it's not that they want bigger pens for chickens. They don't want larger space for farrowing crates for gilts or sows. They don't want it so that veal calves have 43 square feet. Ultimately, they want there to be no veal calves. They want there to be no gestation crates, no farrowing crates, no pork chops, no bacon. That's how screwed up these people are. They want to put an end to bacon. And they want there to be no chickens nor no eggs. It's not a matter of which one came first. They want neither. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? The issue isn't appeasing or pleasing or satisfying these organizations, these small, small percentage of vocal radicals that try to pretend they are mainstream. They are not. They get 67, 63% of the vote because of salacious and well-funded public relations. We need to expose them for what they are and realize you will never satisfy them. Just like the people that want to put Boy Scouts out of business, they want to put us out of business, particularly as it pertains to animal agriculture. I'm Damian Mason. This is the Business of Agriculture podcast. I appreciate you joining in for the dialogue. If you have an idea for a guest or you'd like to join me, if you've got something interesting to talk about, an industry that I haven't covered, please give me a holler. You can find me at DamianMason.com. Until next week, thanks for joining.